Let all things be done decently and in order. That's one of the key directives that is given to us as a church of the Lord Jesus. And on an evening when we are having the privilege of uh, considering our brother Frank for the office of deacon, and we are uh, considering the reconfirmation of our brother Anil, uh, then that leads us back to those passages, Acts chapter 6, and as well, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And if we say, well, I've read those passages before. Yes, we all have read those passages before. But we must come uh, to them praying that God will give us light and understanding uh, as we come. As we do come to this consideration of the Word of God, I'm mindful that on the other end, we have a congregational meeting uh, that is yet to come. So I've set for myself something of a goal of helping you to fill in the blanks on your handout sheet. And that may sound as a childish or simplistic goal for the evening, but if I merely aim at talking through these passages, highlighting those statements, then I think that will go a long way for informing our minds as we take up the business later on uh, this evening. So notice with me Roman numeral one, the New Testament context, the New Testament context of the diaconal office. And first of all, we'll consider the origin of the diaconate. And the origin uh, comes um, at the time of um, the need there in Acts chapter 6. And there is in Acts chapter 6 a, a problem of, of fairness, uh, and the, that's little number one. A little number two right after that is a proposed solution of problem solvers. The apostles don't, in a sense, solve the problem into the details. They say, we need men to put over this kind of thing. God, the Holy Spirit, is leading them and directing them uh, with their solution. This uh, proposed uh, solution of problem solvers is there in verse 2 through 4. They first of all say what we're not going to do. We're not going to give up on our preaching in order for us to take care of this very necessary matter in the life of the church. But then verse 3 and 4, what we are going to do. The apostles will concentrate on their work, their work of preaching, their work of praying. That's verse 4. But then requirements are given for the congregation to be involved. Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And then little number three, the resolution of the apostles and the congregation, verses 5 through 7. The congregation was pleased, verse 5. The congregation, they, as a congregation, chose the men. Verse 6, the latter part, the apostles ordained the deacons, and God smiled on the resolution that they worked through as God shows his blessing 
the word of God spreading, the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Well, what do we learn? Little number four, practical observations. Well, notice with me something of the order that is in the church. Uh, There is an implied membership in the church. Um, They are choosing men. From what group do they choose these men? Well, from within the context of their membership. And who is it that is allowed to vote in this choosing process? Well, once again, those within the circle of the membership of the church. Uh, There is order here. There is something of the distinctive role. Here's what the apostles do. Here are what these new men, this new office, these deacons are going to do. Uh, There's the awareness. This needs to be a plurality. There's order in that, in responsibilities. If we can, let's spread those responsibilities out. Let's have them helping one another. Let's have them looking over one another's uh, shoulder. Uh, whom we may appoint. You do your part, we will do our part. You see order in the church in many different levels. And then notice with me the key role of the members of the church. It's not a top-heavy institution where the apostles say, okay, here's the problem, here's here's the solution. Here are the men that we are picking. No, there's this involvement where the congregation has a part in that process, and yet the apostles will lay their hands on them. They will ordain them. So there's something of the origin. There's a problem. There's likely something of carnality that has arisen in the church. There's a preferential treatment for one ethnic group over another, And out of that sin, we get this wonderful provision of the diaconate. Secondly, B, the function, the function of the diaconate. One is referred to this as a ministry of pastoral disentanglement. And if you think in terms of uh, keeping the, the pastor, keeping the elders, keeping the apostles, focusing on prayer and on preaching, uh, then uh, if every time that I would walk into the building, come into my office to have a meeting and an evening uh, with someone, if I had to worry about fixing the lock and getting that straightened out in order to get in, if I had to worry about getting new shingles on the roof to have the place to be I wouldn't get anything done. It's a ministry of disentanglement. We want to take care of these things so that you can concentrate on these other matters that God calls you to. So a ministry of pastoral disentanglement. And then little number two, a ministry of administrating physical concerns of the church, dealing with the needy within the church, serving the tables. There is this service-oriented ministry in freeing pastors for their work. Still, it is a ministry, it is a service 
that requires some sort of administrative abilities, a spiritual way of thinking, but nonetheless something of the natural gift of administration. And I think there's balance, isn't there, in the list of qualifications. Full of the Holy Spirit. These are not just men that um, are white-collar. These are men that have proven it in the world and now will take everything and have that come into the church. No, these are spiritually-minded men. They are full of wisdom. They know how to do things. They know how to go about it. And yet, they're not so program-oriented. They're wisdom. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. But notice the balance there of the faith. They are full of faith, too. And so it's not just looking at you know, for things from a human perspective and say, we need to do this. We need, well, we need to do this, and we need, and we need God to bless it, and we believe that God will help us, full of faith. Listen to John Owen. Since the reason of the institution of this office was, in general, to free pastors of the churches who labor in the word and doctrine from distractions by outward things, where the church is concerned, it belongs to the deacons not only to take care of and provide for the poor, but to manage all other affairs of the church of the same kind, such as uh, providing for the place of the church assemblies, of the elements of the sacraments, of collecting, keeping, and managing the assets uh, for the church, for the maintenance of its officers in special occasions, especially in time of trouble or persecution. Hereon, they are obliged to attend the elders on all occasions to perform the duty of the church towards them and receive directions from them. So there we have something of uh, the uh, origin and the function of the diaconate. Notice uh, with me just quickly, see the duration, the duration of the diaconate. And we have it in Philippians 1 that... Uh, Paul is writing to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. We have it in Timothy 3. There is an office of elder. There is an office of deacon. And though we could say that when Titus is seeking to ordain elders, it does not seem that deacons are absolutely essential in that situation. They're not of the essence of the church, but it is a standing order in the church. So from Acts chapter 6 until the end of time, we trust that God will bless his church uh, with a full complement uh, there of uh, deacons. And that brings us to Roman numeral number 2. Roman numeral uh, number 2. Here we're looking at the Timothy personal qualifications for the diaconal office. And here, to simplify what I'm about to say, I want us to think of a tree uh, trunk. There are two main trunks that are coming. Uh, with this arm, I can't quite get that elbow there together like I would like. Let's do this. So there are two trunks that are coming off. And off of the one, there are five branches. And off of the other, there are three branches coming off of this double trunk. So first of all, A, personal godliness. Personal godliness. 
And here there are five main branches. There is little number one, a holy seriousness, or as the ESV has it, dignified. Uh, Philippians 4, this word is used as noble. Another place, it's used as sober. In uh, Timothy 3, verse 4, of elders, it's used as reverence. It is a seriousness that stirs our respect, a holy seriousness. Then little number two, a heartfelt grip of biblical doctrine. And isn't this interesting? That in the office of the diaconate, those who are discharging uh, something of the more outward, more physical concerns of the church, yet it's described in that passage that they are holding to the mystery of the faith. Uh, there is a body of truth uh, that has uh, been gripped, and it's a body of truth that is held in a certain way with a clear conscience. And you need to know the truth in order to make principled decisions in the life of the church. Let's hurry on to uh, little number three. But as we do so, let me just highlight, plainly a deacon is more than a Mr. Fix-It or a Mr. Handyman around the church. There is this awareness of the mystery of the faith. There is this holding of it. There is this clear conscience that helps to grip that body of truth. Little number three, an exemplary truthfulness, not double-tongued. It's literally not double-worded, but it means not double-tongued. Not someone that is going to give this report over here and to give a different report over here. Not a man that is going to answer the question in the way that he thinks you want to hear the answer. No, there needs to be this exemplary truthfulness of simply for the sake of that moral quality, it is right to tell the truth, but as well for the efficiency of an organization, there needs to be trust, there needs to be the confidence, this is said, that will be done. Little number four, a moderation in appetite. A moderation in appetite. A man given to service is not going to be a man that is given to wasting his time with wine. We want ones who have the energy to seek out, assess, and wisely to respond to uh, problems that arise in the church, and we don't want their judgment uh, to be neutralized uh, by wine. Uh, these certainly, if any in the church, certainly officers in the church, ought not to be those who are um, uh, drunk, but rather those who are filled with the Spirit. Little number five, a contented spirit, not greedy for money. And why? Well, we want all of the funds that are designated and given uh, for missions to actually make it to the mission field. We want everything that is counted in the room to actually go into the church's uh, bank account. If a branch on the qualification tree 
is not really fully formed, uh, if it's withered, uh, if it's dead, if, if it's just begging for you to reach up there and touch it, oh, well, that broke even more quickly than what I, then the man does not meet the standard of must be. So the first trunk is one of personal godliness, be now. Domestic godliness, godliness that is lived out in the context of the home. And on our second trunk, there are three branches. First of all, branch number one, an exemplary marriage. Uh, this comes uh, in verse 12. Exemplary in status, uh, he's a one-woman man. He's not a polygamist. Uh, exemplary in mor morality, he's a chaste man. There is one woman in his affections and exemplary in relationship. It's a husband of one wife and they, an exemplary marriage where they get along well with one another. They are not constantly uh, bickering and fighting to the point that it is uncomfortable to be in their presence, branch number one. Branch number two, an exemplary rule in the home. This comes from the middle part here of verse 12. Uh, the nature of this uh, leadership, it comes from a word that is also used to pastors, one who rules, one who leads, one who manages. That's the whole sense of the term. But then notice the sphere of this uh, leadership, the latter part of verse 12 again, uh, that uh, he is one who is ruling his house well, um, but it, it, it gives us two things. His leading, his ruling over his children and over his household. And this term for household uh, can be those who live in the home, but it's also over uh, the physical matters of the home. And so if uh, we uh, come to a potential deacon's home, and his uh, home looks rather like a junkyard, we might have some reservations uh, about that. God views the home as a microcosm of the church. Let a church leader demonstrate an ability to lead righteously and graciously in the home before we put him uh, in a place to lead the church. Branch number one is the uh, exemplary, um, uh, let me come back to that, uh, exemplary marriage, exemplary rule in the home was number two, and then number three is an exemplary wife. And verse 11 is what we uh, find behind this heading of this branch number three, the exemplary wife, and there are four traits there. Again, a holy seriousness one that is used of elders, one that is used of deacons, one that is used of a deacon's wife. Um, a bridled tongue, or not uh, diabolos, not one who slanders. And why? Well, she may overhear uh, sensitive uh, conversations uh, where her husband may need to say to someone, 
you have got to get your spending under control and you've got to get rid of those $30,000 of credit card debts. If she hears that, then she might want to keep that in. Or at least the rest of us may want her to keep that information uh, confined. The third characteristic there in verse 11 is a self-control or a sober-minded uh, disposition. Um, uh, again, uh, the diaconate is not an honorary office. It's a working office like the uh, eldership. It is a, a good work that he aspires to. And oftentimes, the wife comes along and is a tremendous assistant uh, to her husband uh, in his work. Fourthly, D, a trustworthiness, a faithfulness in all things, faithful and dependable. Now, we're not electing the wife to the office of the deacon, but obviously the Apostle Paul felt uh, that the marital union is so influential in a man's life and ministry that the wife will either be a tremendous help to him or can be equally a tremendous drain upon his effectiveness. So uh, there are the two main branches, the personal godliness, B, the domestic godliness, and now thirdly, uh, the uh, proven godliness. So this will be a third trunk, a smaller trunk that can take uh, less time uh, for us uh, to view. A proven godliness. Now we're looking at verse 10. These men must also first be tested. It's the word where uh, you're, you're actually testing that metal to make sure that it's really gold, that it's really uh, silver. Uh, it, it's not necessarily a justification that every church has to have a period of time, a, an actual, as we call it, a pastoral assistant, a diaconal assistant, but it certainly justifies that a church needs to take adequate time in the process because some things only come out with the passing of time. And we are not omniscient. We can't see into people's motives. Give it a period of time and let's see how the test ends up. So little number one, a deacon must be a previously proven man. And then the little number two, a deacon must be a blameless man. It is a testing to see, do we find him blameless? Not perfect, but not accusable. And blameless in the sense of, there have been a number of characteristics, number of branches with smaller branches uh, that are highlighted for us in the passage. But then we want to come thirdly this evening to the reward. The reward for the diaconal office. And before we get to the reward itself, we find in verse 13, this is A, a further qualification or a further condition for the reward. Those who served well. And the word for service is the word for deacon, those in a verbal form, those who deaconed well. 
those who have done a good job in disentangling the pastors so that they can do uh, their work, those who have served cheerfully with an eye toward the Lord Jesus Christ and not man. So those who have deaconed well, and then secondly be the two-part spiritual nature of the reward. And that comes in a little number one, the true serving deacon gains a firm foundation in Christ. Good standing, I think it's one of the versions. Uh, ESV, I believe. Uh, uh, it's more literally a high standing. So uh, that one who is serving in this lowly capacity and yet administrating church matters, that there is this good standing and a tremendous encouragement to the man as a Christian. But then the little number two, the true serving deacon gains great boldness in the faith. So there's a firm foundation in Christ, that's one, and then a great boldness in the faith. ESV, great confidence. And sometimes God uses persecution to enhance a believer's assurance of salvation. And I believe that it works like, well, I'm wondering if I'm a Christian, and here I have, am, I have stood for the faith and somebody is persecuting me because I'm standing for Christ, and, well, I must be a Christian, or something of that process. But here it is that once, well, I actually enjoy serving the church. I actually enjoy doing this lowly service. I actually enjoy helping the church out in this capacity, and they gain great confidence in the faith. And then the little number three will just round things out with my Lord Jesus Christ was the greatest servant of all time. And this term of deacon, if we trace it out in the New Testament, one of the passages where we'll find the verb for deacon to appear is Matthew 20 and verse 27, 28. Let me read it. And whoever desires to be first among you let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, to be deaconed, to have someone engage in lowly service for him, but to serve, to deacon, and to give his life a ransom for many. And what a wonderful thing when God, through his gospel, so works in us not only to forgive us our sins, but to transform us so that we move from being natively selfish individuals to those who would be willing to serve as deacons and delight in lowly service in behalf of a community where they all are moving in this direction of serving one another in love. Well, there in the space of, what, 20-some minutes, we've run through these passages to have these passages fresh in our mind as we come to the matters, or at least some of the matters that are before us here this evening.